week we're going to look at how the book of Ecclesiastes teaches us to view wealth, how to view money. It gives us a wise perspective on how to view and use our money, um, or, or how to view our money. Uh, Proverbs has a lot more to say about how to manage our money well and wisdom, but but he gives us he gives us some some wisdom perspective that we all need. And I want to start with this question today. What is your attitude towards money? Do you have a biblical and a healthy view of money? Or would you say that your perspective and your practice of money is unbiblical or unhealthy? Or maybe we should ask our spouses that. Right? What's, what, what would you say, husband or wife? My view of money is how I see it and how I use it. Um, for many couples, this is the number one argument that, that causes tension within marriages is the issue of money. Uh, Jesus spoke a lot about money because he knew that wealth and, and, and he knew that our treasure is closely connected to our hearts. He knew that 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 what where how we view and use our money, how we see our money is closely connected to our hearts. And so Jesus went for the heart. And the the preacher here in the book of Ecclesiastes is doing something similar that Jesus did. He's, he's attacking some of the struggles that the common person has when it comes to their view of money. Alright? So let's start in verse 5. Or verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 8. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor, the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher... And yet, there are higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. What advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Amen? So here's our big idea. Wisdom teaches us the limitations and the dangers of wealth and how to properly enjoy and manage what we have. Wisdom, God's wisdom given to us through the scripture, teaches us the limitations and the dangers of wealth and how to properly and enjoy and properly enjoy and manage what we do have. Now, the first thing I want to point out is that there are many problems that accompany wealth, that accompany 
money and having much money. As uh, one, one rapper of my generation, Notorious Big, said in, in one of his songs, more money, more problems, right? There's a whole, whole song on that, right? And, 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 and so, and those who, who have much know that there are great responsibilities and great headaches that come with having much. And if there's anybody who has insight and experience to speak about this, biblically, it's Solomon from the Bible. This was one of the richest guys who ever lived. He had lots of wealth. And in chapter 2, we looked at his pursuit of trying out everything in this world and nothing gave him ultimate satisfaction and significance that he was looking for. Right? And we talked about several weeks ago about the, the reason for that is, is because mankind pursues significance and satisfaction apart from God, their creator. Okay? And so the first thing, the first problem, there's seven problems we're going to look at that Solomon outlines for us here. And the first one is oppression and injustice. That's connected with money. Okay? He says, if you see in a providence the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at this matter. You see, it's often the poor who get trampled, who get trampled as the herds are pursuing wealth and seeking their piece of the pie, right? It's often those who are most vulnerable and most weak that get trampled. When, it, when, when, when money is involved, um, Philip Ricken, who wrote um, Why Everything Matters, the Gospel in Ecclesiastes, he says this. He says, here, the preacher sees something that we all see, oppression and injustice. We see it in communism, where the state seizes control of the means of production, but we also see it in capitalism. Wherever profit is pursued without regard for the well-being of other persons, somehow the poor always seem to get the worst end of the bargain. And when this happens, Ecclesiastes tells us not to be surprised. As we've said over and over in the book of Ecclesiastes, he is expounding on what the world is like in a post-Genesis 3 world. A world that has been corrupted by sin. A world that has rebelled against God and sin and death and sickness and suffering and war and, and hurricanes have entered into this world and terrible things happen in this world. And Ecclesiastes gives us, gives us some wisdom for working through that tension that we feel in this fallen and broken world. And one of the tensions... One of the big problems that he comes back to several times, three or four, a handful of times, we've already seen it a few times here within the book, is this issue of injustice. This issue of power corrupting people and people misusing their power and their wealth to trample the weak and to take advantage of others. Okay? And so that's a problem. That's a problem that the book of Ecclesiastes addresses. Okay, and let me just say this, since we're in the middle of an election, I'll be very careful here. Since we're in the middle of an election and there is so much controversy and so much debate going on right now, if your joy and your peace is tied to who will be in office in 2021, 
then it's, it's in the wrong place. Your hope and expectation is in the wrong place. Because as Christians, we are not to give our full allegiance to donkeys or elephants, but to the Lamb of God, to the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who brought a kingdom and who will return to bring His kingdom, His everlasting kingdom, and His, gov- his government will, will increase. It will be perfect, and He reigns perfectly in righteousness and justice. So regardless of who's in office, who's in power, we're going to see wisdom teaches us that we're going to see some injustices. We're going to see some unrighteousness. Because there's only one. There's only one that we know. Who knows how to wield and manage and use all power. Power tends to corrupt sinful human hearts. Well, really, sinful human hearts are already corrupted. And you give power and money to people. And you'll see that corruption magnified. Okay? And so that's all I'm going to say about that. You can send me an email later if you want. We can talk. Another problem that the, that the Solomon addresses here within this book is dissatisfaction. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his, with his income. This also is hevel. It's, it's vanity. Okay? Now, now, we said this before, and I just want to be very clear here today. That money in and of itself is not evil, and it's not bad, okay? It's neutral, okay? We can do a lot of good with wealth and money, okay? We can glorify God. We can help people. We can enjoy good gifts from God. But also, there can be a lot of harm that happens to us and to those around us as a result of how we view and use money, okay? And one of the problems is, is that money doesn't satisfy. It's a myth. It's a myth that many Americans have bought into that you need wealth to be happy. You need money to be happy and to have security and to have significance and to be somebody and to make it in life. But we as Christians, we look to Jesus who lived his life in poverty and yet he was rich. He was rich with relationships, okay? And he taught us how to live a life that's not focused on money, but focused on the kingdom of God. And he taught us, he taught us how to ultimately live a life that's full of satisfaction and joy and, and prioritizing God and his kingdom, which is made up of righteousness, peace, and joy. Pastor Robert Reed's going to be here next week to talk about the kingdom of God. And some elements of the kingdom of God. And that's what we need during this time. So dissatisfaction. Derek Kinder said this. If there's anything worse that the addiction money brings, it's the emptiness that it leaves. If there's anything worse than the addiction that money brings, it's the emptiness that it leaves. I mean, just think about the last time you purchased something on Amazon and you were thinking, man... I need this. We need this. And you get it. Okay? And it feels good right there in the moment, right? It shows up. It feels good when it shows up at your door. And then it's not long at all until that newness wears off and that thing is in the trash or that thing is worn out or that thing doesn't mean very much to you. And that's because stuff isn't designed to satisfy us. And one of the problems of the human heart is we have... We, as one theologian says, the human heart is an idol-making factory. 
we tend to look to the things of this creation to do for us what only God can do for us. We're made for Him and our hearts are restless until they find rest in Him. St. Augustine says, so dissatisfaction, we, we can all agree with Jagger who, who said in his song, I can't get no satisfaction. We can't get satisfaction from the things of this world. And he who loves money will not be satisfied with it. The next thing that money that accompanies wealth and having much wealth is that it tends to attract moochers. Okay? It tends to attract those who want a slice of the pie that you got, okay? And this may, this may start with IRS. They want their slice of the pie, so taxes, okay? Um, it may be uh, friends or family who start coming around. And, and, and maybe, maybe it's not clear that that's their intent necessarily. Um, but, but, but when you have a lot, you, you tend to attract more people around you, right? I saw this. I saw this before I was a Christian. The, you know, the people who had had money. Those are the people to party with, to hang out with. You know, uh, and, and, and so it tends to attract people, as one theologian calls them, human leeches. Human leeches, right? And so, when goods increase, they increase to eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see? Than with his eyes. I, I read about one professional athlete who who experienced this. He started. He got the contract. He was making lots of money, and and he had lots of friends coming around asking for some of it, asking for a slice of the pie. And at one point, he had 60, 60 cell phone plans that he was paying for. He only had one cell phone for himself, but he was paying for sixty people's. Cell phone plans, and, and the list goes on and on of, of, of just unwise financial decisions that this guy made. But my point is, is that it attracted a lot of people when he was making lots of money, okay? And so many folks, many folks who don't have a lot, they envy, they look at the wealthy people, and they think, man, if I just had what they had, right? If I just had what they had. But little do we know, oftentimes those, those who have so much are miserable, even with having everything. Now, not everybody. I, I, I do want to say this, that the Bible has these categories of the, the righteous and the unrighteous. And there are rich, righteous people, and there are poor, righteous people. And there are, um, there are uh, poor, unrighteous people, and there are poor, righteous people. All right? And so being rich doesn't necessarily equal being wicked. Or being rich doesn't necessarily equal being godly, okay? Because we see, we see both. We see both in the Bible. We see people who love the Lord, who, who lived on little, who had little. And the Bible teaches us, and we'll look at this shortly, to teaches us, it teaches us to be content with what you do have. Don't let your heart chase after riches. The next thing, the next problem that accompanies wealth is restlessness in verse 12. It says, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Okay? 
So, so just think about this. The sweet is the sleep of a laborer. Think about somebody who's just working hard, living a simple life, working a regular job, and they're able to go home because they're, they're exhausted. They've been working hard. But they're able to sleep good at night because they've been working hard, right? And in contrast to the person who has so much and they can eat as much as they want. And perhaps, perhaps it's some of the rich foods that they eat that keep them awake at night that cause indigestion and keep them awake at night. Or perhaps it's having so much to be concerned about. What are we going to do? How are we going to protect this from being taken away from us? Or how are we going to get more of this, right? And so, restlessness is one of the problems that accompanies much wealth. So don't buy in to the myth that if you have more, you're going to have more peace and security. Don't buy into the myth that if you have more, that then you're going to be satisfied. As, as J- John Rockefeller was asked once, he was the richest person in the world, the, the only billionaire at the time who made lots of money off the, the oil industry. He was asked by, uh, I believe, uh, an interviewer, uh, which, million, which million was your favorite to earn? And he said, the next million. Okay. Like, like, how much is going to satisfy just a little bit more, you know? And so, restlessness is one of the problems that accompany wealth. And the next thing is hoarding, this issue of hoarding. Now, many of you have seen the, the TV show Hoarders, right? Raise your hand if you've seen Hoarders, okay? It's a TV show about people who have this, um, I, I believe it's a mental illness, if you will, or, or it, it's, it's a problem. Right, it's a problem of not being able, well, well, not being able to get rid of what you have, just just storing up stuff. Okay, and and Solomon says this this there is a grievous evil I've seen under the sun: riches kept by their owner to his hurt. Okay, some of you have read or heard of the the book When Helping Hurts. Another great title would be When Hoarding Hurts. Okay, this would be a great title for a book, When Hoarding Hurts. You see, God has designed us in his image to be not only recipients of his good gifts, but also conduits of his good gifts. As humanity, God designed us to be recipients of his good gifts, but also to be conduits of his good gifts. To, to share what we have. And Jesus taught us this is what the, the truly blessed life looks like. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And, and people who experience fullness in life and, 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 and joy in life, some of the happiest people in life are the most generous people in life. Okay? Some of the happiest people in life are the most generous people in life. And, and we must learn this. If we're going to steward well what we have and enjoy what we've been given by God, then we've got to learn the grace of being a conduit, a giver, and not hoarding, not, not being a clog in the pipe, so to speak. Because not everything that God sends our way is necessarily for us. Perhaps God wants to give it to somebody else through us and let us experience the great joy of being a conduit of his grace. And so hoarding, it it, it hurts, it corrodes the heart. 
Okay? Greed, as I said a couple weeks ago, envy diminishes our capacity to enjoy what God get, has given us. I would also say greed also diminishes our capacity to enjoy what God has given us. Greed and envy are like twins, all right? And they diminish our capacity to, the, to enjoy the good gifts that God has given us and to be generous towards others. The next thing is, the next problem that accompanies uh, wealth is the pain of loss. 14 through 16 says, And those riches were lost in a bad venture. He is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand, and as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, make it as he came, and, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Okay? The, 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 more, the more that you have, uh, the more potential you have for the pain of losing, <laughs> losing what you have, the more difficult it can be. All right? I love uh, Corey Ten Boom's uh, quote there that she's learned to hold all things loosely so that when God asks, Asked her to give those things up, that it doesn't hurt as much. You see, we, we've all seen, <clears throat> those of us who are parents, we've seen toddlers struggle with this idea of hoarding and, and not being able to, to let go or share with others. It's, it's a lesson we've had to work with each of our kids with. And sometimes it's so ridiculous that it's hilarious, it's funny. To see a little toddler who has friends over and he's guarding his toys or her toys and he has a handful of them. And he's guarding all the toys in the house. Mine, saying, mine, no, these are mine. And he can't even enjoy playing with his own toys because he's trying to guard all the toys from other people taking them and playing with them. You see, that's a problem. That, that brings us back to Ecclesiastes 4, 6 about the, 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 the two, two handfuls striving after the wind. Like, like somebody trying to grab bubbles and, and keep what's, what's there. Okay? You see, we, we experience greatest joy when, when, when we share what we have. When we share what we have. And, and it becomes a joy and delight for us to see others get to enjoy the things that we have. Proverbs 24, 5 and 4 and 5 says, Don't weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings, like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. Right? And the last, the last problem that's accompanied with wealth mentioned here in verse 17 is misery. Moreover, all his days... He eats in darkness, in much vexation, in sickness, in anger. It's, it's, it's baffling to us to see somebody who has so much in this life, everything, and just be miserable. I mean, it just it doesn't make sense, right? When you see somebody who has so much wealth and so much stuff, but they can't enjoy it. 
They can't enjoy, to, to, or, you know, for somebody who can eat steak every night, but they don't have the taste buds to savor the flavor of the, of the steak. Somebody who can go on great vacations and see, go to beautiful places with beautiful greenery and oceans and mountains, but they don't have eyes to see the color and the beauty around them. You see, it's not only a gift from God to have the things that we have in this life, but it's also a gift from God to be able to enjoy those things. And that's what Solomon brings us to. He gives us a proper perspective of how to manage, how to view, and how to use the things that we have in this life. And I do appreciate that he does this throughout the book. That the book of Ecclesiastes isn't just a negative book. It does give us a good reality check, a dose of reality that we all need. So that we're not looking to the things of this world to try to bring utopia. Because nothing in this world is going to bring that to us. Okay? Only the kingdom of God, the everlasting kingdom of God, will be marked with righteousness, peace, and joy forevermore. But notice what Ecclesiastes 5.18 says. He says... He says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in this toil. This is the gift of God. This is the gift of God. You see, when you see the things that you have as a gift of God to be enjoyed and stewarded, it helps you. It helps you to live well. You see, wisdom teaches us to do this. To see all of life and the things that come our way in life as gracious gifts from the hand of God to enjoy. But when we're so focused on getting more, when greed and envy drives us, it diminishes our capacity to enjoy what we do have. To enjoy who we do have. And, and to enjoy where God has placed us. You see, the human heart longs for Eden. The human heart longs for a pleasant place to inhabit a pleasant place to inhabit with people to enjoy it with. Alright? We long for that. And God has designed us, and God gets glory when we receive what He gives us, recognizing those things as gifts from His hand, and, and respond in gratitude back to Him, the giver of every one of those good gifts that we experience. God gets glory in that. Right? Some people, some people try to be too spiritual, as C.S. Lewis has said, to, to not enjoy the good gifts that God gives us. And here Solomon is describing that simplicity and enjoyment of simply eating and drinking and finding enjoyment in your work, in your food, in your work. Just living a, a simple life, enjoying what God has given you. This is the sweet spot, so to speak. The sweet spot in life, wisdom teaches us, is contentment. Contentment with God and the lot that He has given us. Amen? And in chapter 6 of Ecclesiastes, he goes on to mention something 
That's, that's grievous, and that is a person, verse, uh, verse one, 1 through 4 here, it says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun that lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth and possessions and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil okay now why does that happen why does somebody come to a place where they have so much in life but they're not able to enjoy it well when you push god out of the picture and you push people out of the picture and you make life all about you seeking your own happiness to the exclusion of the well-being of others, to the exclusion of the glory and the honor of God, you will find yourself dissatisfied with the idols that you've made of this creation. But when God is the center of your life and existence and your focus and you're seeking first the kingdom and you value people more than you do stuff, you'll find that you have a greater capacity for joy and enjoyment of the things that God has given you. Because you're using those things not selfishly, but for the glory and the honor of God and for the good of others. That's the sweet spot that God calls us to. That's the sweet spot that Solomon calls people to. He gives us the, the ability to enjoy those things. Philip Rickon again says this. Uh, he says, the gifts that God gives us and the power to enjoy those gifts come separately. Like batteries sold separately. Kids, you know at Christmas time, when you get that, that toy that you've been wanting, that, that, that drone or that remote control car or that, that talking doll, and you get it, and many of us have had this experience, and parents, I know this is irritating, right? You get that toy, and then you forget to get the batteries for it. Batteries not included. And there's all the excitement. It's very anticlimactic. There's all the excitement around, I finally got it. I finally got the drone. There's no batteries. There's no battery. And so you can't use it. And the stores are closed. It's Christmas Day, right? Batteries not included, right? And so without God, without God, we're not going to be able to enjoy the things of this life as we're designed to. Okay? Without God being the center. And without, without regard to others. Solomon's already taught us in the book of Ecclesiastes that two is better than one. He's already taught us the value of friendship and relationship, right? And, and it's the, the envy-driven worker and the greedy, the greed-motivated person that tends to devalue the relationships, the good gifts of relationships that God brings, right? What good is a, is a honeymoon in Hawaii if you don't have your spouse with you there to enjoy it, Right? Makes no sense, right? And many folks, they want, they want the, the beautiful pleasures of this life, but without God. Without God being there. And so we as Christians, we put God in the center. We allow Him to shape how we view the world and how we live our lives. Phil Brickens says, the gifts of God, the gifts that God gives us, and the power to enjoy those gifts come separately. This is why having more money can never guarantee that we will find any enjoyment without God, we will still be discontent. It is only when we keep Him at the center of our existence 
that we experience the real joy and the gifts that God may give. The fear of the Lord is not just the beginning of wisdom, it is also the source of satisfaction. The way that Ecclesiastes talks about this, our relationship with God is described as the fear of the Lord. That's, that's a term used often throughout the Old Testament. We talked about it last week. Proverbs 19.23 says that the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied, and he will not be visited by harm. And all throughout this book in Ecclesiastes, he goes back and forth. And this is our, our consistent application. Fear God and enjoy God. Fear God and enjoy God. Okay? And there's a healthy balance for us to embrace as Christians. Fear God. Let Him be the one that you give your highest allegiance and awe and reverence and respect to. But also enjoy Him. And enjoy the gifts that He gives you and honor Him by enjoying those good gifts. Wisdom teaches us to be content with what we have. Here's some verses. Ecclesiastes 4.6. Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and striving after wind. Better is a, a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted ox and hatred with it. It's better to have... Better to have, I'm going to break that down a little bit. Better to just have a, a simple salad than to have a big juicy steak. A simple salad with love than a big juicy steak with animosity and conflict. Okay? Uh, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Proverbs 37 through 9 says, Two things I ask of you, deny me, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be fool and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Wisdom teaches us to find contentment in God and who He is. If you're interested in exploring that topic, a couple months ago I preached a sermon on Christian contentment. And we looked at what we defined it, what it is, and, and we described it um, and, and <clears throat> described how to walk in it. And so let me close here in just a couple points of application. One, guard your heart from believing the myths about money. Guard your heart from believing the myths about money. Jesus spoke about the deceitfulness of riches. Okay? The deceitfulness of riches that choke out the life of His Word in us. The fruitfulness of His Word uh, bearing fruit in our life. Okay? He spoke about the dangers of it. He had a lot to say about it. He, he said, guard against grief. The life, He said, life doesn't consist of what one has. Okay? It's not about what you have that makes life life. It's about who you have. Right? Okay? So guard your heart from believing the myths. They're so subtle. The deceit is so subtle. And we're, we've all been prone to it. 
If I can just have this, if I can just have a little bit more. And so guard against that. Money in and of itself is not evil, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, 1 Timothy 6 tells us. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And and God uh, tells us in 1 Timothy 6 through Paul, he says that God has richly given us all things to enjoy. Okay? So God is honored and gets glory through our lives when we enjoy what he's given us. When we acknowledge that it's come from him and we thank him for it. And then we bless others with what we have as well. So develop a biblical perspective and practice of stewardship. One of the problems that we often face when it comes to our stuff is we see it as our stuff. And one of the first principles of stewardship that every person must come to if they're going to have a biblical perspective is the, is the reality that what we have really is, is God's stuff. Everything belongs to him and he's allowed us to be stewards of it you see we can't take it with us it's not going to last forever and so if we try to hoard and hold on to it and use it selfishly we're going to be dissatisfied and we're not going to experience eternal the eternal rewards that come from storing up our treasures in heaven through being a generous person and so the, develop a biblical perspective and practice of stewardship. Uh, Be content and generous with what you do have. God has given you and I enough. He's given you enough. Okay? Whether, Whether you have a lot in life or whether you have a little, Paul tells us that we should be content with the food and the clothes that we do have. Okay? And it takes, it takes, we need wisdom and we need help to develop of this biblical perspective and to find a place of contentment in God. Paul said he's learned the secret. He learned it in Philippians 4. It's something that must be learned. And God's word teaches us how to get there. Jesus had a lot to say about this and how, how, how to get there. Jesus lived the life perfectly in relation to money. Alright? And he confronted those whose, whose lives were entangled with Love of money and desires for other things. Jesus himself enjoyed, while he was here on earth, he enjoyed good food. He enjoyed relationships. He enjoyed parties. And he hung out with tax collectors and sinners. But he didn't compromise and he didn't sin in enjoying those good gifts that the Father gives us in creation. He he glorified the Father in that and he glorified uh, and he helped people. With, with what he had. Uh, lastly, is value relationships more than riches. Um, value your family. If you got family, um, uh, dads, don't let overworking to get more rob you from spending adequate time with your children, with your wife. Okay, there's been too many marriages that have fallen apart because of that that drive to just get some more, just get a little bit more margin. And then we'll be happy. A little more savings. A little more cushion. Let's get that boat. Let's get that bigger house. Let's get that other thing, right? When, when, when really we would find more joy in many cases, more, more contentment, enjoyment in many cases, 
by accepting and embracing the little that we have in that season of life. You see, Ecclesiastes teaches us to accept our lot in life. To realize there are a lot of things that are out of our control and it would require us to have unhealthy rhythms of life to get to certain places that maybe God hasn't called us to. And so we allow relationships to be destroyed to get a bunch of stuff. And so value those relationships. Amen? I'm going to close in prayer. Kevin, you want to come on up? One author describes what we're talking about here today as uh, in her book, The Golden Ghetto, Psychology of Affluence. She calls it affluenza. It's an unhealthy, it's an unhealthy attitude towards wealth. Okay? And, and as Americans, um, it's been said that many of us have a mild case of it. And the Bible is here. It's given to us to renew our minds, to, to, to change the unhealthy ways of thinking to cleanse us. Jesus said, uh, Father, sanctify. He prayed, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so let's pray that now as Kevin leads us here in a song. Let's pray that God would sanctify us, would renew our minds, would help us to have a healthy attitude towards the things that God has entrusted us with. Father, we pray... First of all, we, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all the good gifts that you give us in this life. And none of them, none of the things of this world compare to the good gift of yourself that you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ. None of those gifts compare. Lord, you've given us yourself. You didn't spare your only son, but you gave him up for us. And so we're convinced that God, if you, if you didn't hold back Jesus, then you're not going to be shysty with anything else that would be good for us. And we thank you that you've given us what we need. You've given us, by your divine power, you've given us all things that per pertain to life and godliness. Thank you for the friends and the family that you've surrounded us with. Thank you for the riches and in Christ Jesus, the spiritual blessings that we have. May we be in all of your grace. May we be amazed by your grace. May we enjoy the gifts that you've given us and may we honor you with them. May we help others with them. But we pray that you guard us. Guard against the, us against the love of money. Guard us from believing the lie that a little more stuff, a little more money will be the answer to our happiness, our peace, our joy. May we seek first your kingdom here and your righteousness. May we prioritize your kingdom rather than trying to build our own little kingdom our own comfortable space. May we trust that what you have for us is good and enough. Search us, God, and reveal any hurtful way in us. Any ways that we 
or hurting ourselves, or hurting others. Christ's name we pray. Thank you.